Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. i 
Tochemune, Tochemune, 
JM in the AM. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Stroll Werdiger with Bowie. You heard Baruch Levine and his Bowie Kahlo off the brand new Bunim Atem. You heard Baruch Levine with Yom Zeh off the brand new CD. Yedidim Choir had their brand new one, Curry Bone. The Solomon Brothers with Om Do Tayu. Vishamru, that's brand new from Shalshelis Jr. from their Thankful CD, which we know is volume number three from Shalshelis Jr. And Regesh, of course, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this January the 22nd, day 12 in the month of Shvat, the year 5776. Tavshinai and Vav, it's Erev Shabbos Parshas B'Shalach, Erev Shabbos Shira, with candle lighting at 4.41 on this Erev Shabbos. 4.41 is candle lighting time. Tu B'Shvat is Monday. Our Tu B'Shvat special is Monday morning, and there may be a lot of snow on the ground during our Tu B'Shvat special. 23 degrees outside with 18 is the wind chill. 60% humidity, winds are west at 4 miles per hour. Today mostly cloudy with a high temperature of 33, then tonight. Snow later on with a low temperature of 27. Tomorrow, snow and wind. They're talking about possibly up to a foot of snow in this area with a high temperature Shabbos of 30 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 55. We're at 23 here in Jersey City as we say good morning on a Friday era of Shabbos at JM in the AM. Plenty coming up. We've got the weekly update with Malcolm Holmline just over an hour from now. Rabbi Yudin, of course, is going to be joining us. And plenty more between now and 9 a.m. And, of course, a great day on our stream. And Erev Shabbos on our stream with Naomi Nachman and Table for 2 at 9 o'clock. And the Kedem presentation of the uh, Erev Shabbos music mix starting at 10 a.m. It's all happening today if you keep it here at jmnam.org and, of course, on the NSN app. Thanks for tuning in. You're at 91.1 on the FM dial, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 FM and around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and, of course, on the NSN app.
Ya 
Cole Zimra and Menucha Vesimcha. Shimon Kramer has Kelho Dose. You heard Chazan Yanki Lemmer, both these Miros Medley and Mimkomcha. Shlomo Kalbach and Boi Vishalom. Shalshalas Jr. in there with Tov Lahodos. That's brand new. The Moshav Band had Seischem Lashalom. Friday morning, candle lighting at 441 in this era of Shabbashira, era of Shabbos Parshas Bashalach. Expecting snow in this area over Shabbos. Monday is Tu Bishvat. Getting ready for the Tubishvat special this coming Monday morning. Mostly cloudy with a high temperature of 33. Snow later tonight, low 27. And tomorrow, snow and wind with a high temperature of 30 degrees. 55 in Yerushalayim, 23 here in Jersey City with a wind chill of 18 at JM in the AM. Galaitzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. There it is. Galaitzal has replaced our music on the air. <laughs> Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, will join us. Weekly update coming up at 7.40 this morning here at JMNAM. 8.15, Rabbi Yudin will join us regarding Parshas B'Shalach and Shabashira. Naomi Nachman, table for two, coming up between 9 and 10 this morning here at JMNAM.org and on the NSN app. And, of course, our Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix coming up starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. That'll all be happening uh, all through the day, all the way until candlelighting time. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday era of Shabbos follows next. We say Boker Toe from Jam the סערה במערכת הפוליטית בעקבות הפינוי הבוקר של המתנחלים שפלשו לבתים בחברון. שר הביטחון עונה בחריפות למבקריו בהם מפלגת הבית היהודי, שכינתה אותו אטום וחסר אחריות, הנחוש לזרוק יהודים מביתם. כתבנו טל אברהם. יעלון אמר בתגובה לביקורת מדינת ישראל היא מדינת חוק, אין לי כל כוונה להתפשר כשהחוק מופר. ההתבטאויות של מספר פוליטיקאים בנושא זה גובלות בהפקרות ופוגעות בחוסן הלאומי שלנו, אמר יעלון ורמז לכיוונו של בנט והוסיף אני קורא לשרים וחברי הכנסת לרסן את התבטאויותיהם ולא לעודד את לקיחת החוק בידיים גם בליכוד מפלגתו של יעלון תגובות זועמות על הפינוי. כתבנו עם בל תמיר. השר זאב אלקין כתב, זה זמן להילחם בטרור ולתמוך בחיזוק ההתיישבות ולא להילחם במתיישבים. השרה מירי רגב אמרה בתגובה לפינוי, הרוכשים טוענים שקנו את הדירות על פי כל דין, ואם אכן הדברים הם כך, זכותם המלאה להתיישב בדירות הללו. חברי הכנסת אורן חזן, איוב קרא ובצלאל סמוטריץ' איימו להחרים את ההצבעות בכנסת ביום שני הקרוב. ראש עיריית אשקלון איתמר שמעוני החשוד בעבירות מין ובשחיתות שוחרר למעצר בית, מדווח כתבנו רמי שני. איתמר שמעוני חזר היום לביתו, אבל ייאלץ לראות את עירו אשקלון רק מהחלון בשבועיים וחצי הבאים. במקביל יהיה עליו להתייצב לפרקי חקירה אם יתבקש כדי להשיב על שאלות חוקרי יחידת להב 433, החוקרת עבירות מין בהן הוא חשוד וכן עבירות מתן וקבלת שוחד ומעשי שחיתות. 
טניס. גם נובק ג'וקוביץ' העפיל לשמינית גמר אליפות אוסטרליה הפתוחה. כתבנו תאו וייס. המדורג ראשון בעולם גבר על האנדריה ספי האיטלקי 617576 ויפגוש בשמינית הגמר את ג'יל סימון הצרפתי. מוקדם יותר ניצח רוג'ר פדרר את גיאורגי דימיטרוב הבולגרי והפך לראשון בהיסטוריה שניצח 300 משחקים בטורנירי גרנד סלאם. גם מריה שרפובה רשמה ציון דרך עם הניצחון ה-600 בקריירה. מזג האוויר היום ללא שינוי ניכר בטמפרטורות, מחר ירדו גשמים מקומיים מהצפון ועד הנגב. ייתכנו סופות רעמים ושלג ירד בחרמון. קיים חשש לשיטפונות במדבר יהודה, במוצאי השבת הגשם מתחזק, ובראשון תוסיף להיות סוער וקר מהרגיל. ולסיום, שון פול כבר כאן. רומן הדנסול מג'מייקה נחת לפני זמן קצר בנמל התעופה בן גוריון לקראת המופע שייערך במוצאי השבת בהיכל יד אליהו בתל אביב. זו הפעם השנייה בה שון פול מגיע להופיע בישראל, כאשר הפעם הקודמת הייתה בשנת 2007. עם נחיתתו אמר, אני שמח לשוב לישראל, נרגש ומצפה לקראת ההופעה. אלה החדשות שערך עידו דוד כהן בצוות רינת גיימן ועמית פומפס.
Bye. 
You know how that song fits into uh, today's broadcast? Yehuda Green calls it Shiratayam. Erev Shabbos Shira, JM in the AM. Achenu had the bus Shabbos before that. Menucha Vesimcha from Ari Goldwag. Opening up that set. 20 minutes after 7 o'clock on this Erev Shabbos, Parsha's Bishalach. Candle lighting at 441 on this Erev Shabbos. 441 is your candle lighting time. Monday is 2 Bishvat, of course. And our 2 Bishvat special Monday morning right here at JM in the AM. Make sure to be tuned in. Matis has JM Sunday this coming Sunday. That'll start at 7 o'clock in the morning on the stream, jmnam.org, and, of course, on the NSN app, so make sure to be tuned in for JM Sunday. Uh, Malcolm Honline is coming up. He is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We will speak with him regarding the weekly update here at JM in the AM. The Shemitah Fund has been established to support the rest of Israel. Get it? Rest? As in Shemitah, rest of the land. Uh, David Metkowski is with us. He's executive director of the Shemitah Fund and has the latest information for us this morning here at JM in the AM. David Metkowski, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you very much, Nathan. Thanks for having me on. Uh, a pleasure. Let's start with the basics. What year and month are we in now as it relates to Shemitah? Okay, so people assume that uh, Shemitah ended with Rosh Hashanah of the eighth year. We're now uh, in, in the eighth year. Um, and people assume Shemitah ended already Rosh Hashanah, but, but the fact is that, uh, first of all, halakhically, for many of the farmers, for many of, of the crops, Shemitah doesn't end until, uh, uh, you know, until Tubishvat on Monday, and for uh, citrus fruit, it doesn't end actually until Kodesh Nisan. So you have many uh, farmers, there are close to 3,500 3, farmers in Israel who have been keeping Shemitah, this, this Shemitah cycle, who are, 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 are still in the process of keeping Shemitah halakhically, and then even once they're able to uh, replant, for some after Rosh Hashanah and then others first after this coming Monday, and yet others in uh, Chodesh Nisan, it's still months until they, they have their first harvest and are able to start earning income. So when people think about Shemitah, they think about it as a 12-month uh, commitment. Actually, it's really closer to 18 to uh, 24 months, depending on the type of crop. So the farmers who have been keeping Shemitah really still need help until they're able to uh, start earning their their first post-Shemitah income and, and get back on their feet. All right, so we're real, so we're in year year eight, or as some might call it, year one, depending on you know, as we refer to the new cycle, so to speak. Exactly. Uh, it, it, it is both simultaneously. Right, but as you just said, it's a, uh, it is an extension for um, for farmers of, the, of what has been happening in year seven, which of course came to a close, as you said, on Rosh Hashanah. David Mitkowski is with us, Executive Director of the Shemitah Fund. So why was the Shemitah Fund established? Okay, so there is an organization in Israel called Karen Hashviit, uh, and a corollary here in the States called Karen Hashviit, and you can obviously see, see the connection, um, that has been helping Israeli farmers keep Shemitah since the 1950s. Um, most of the farmers in Israel who are keeping Shemitah come from the religious Zionist or Masoreti communities, um, but the support through Karen Hashviit or Karen Hashviit in Israel has been primarily from the more yeshivish Haredi communities. Uh, and this is something which, uh, unfortunately, has not yet, from a, a support uh, and philanthropic perspective, uh, really taken root within the, the uh, religious Zionist and modern Orthodox communities uh, and beyond uh, here in the States. And so the Shemitah Fund was established during uh, this past cycle um, to help share this important mitzvah and this opportunity to partner with the farmers in keeping Shemitah with the modern Orthodox and religious Zionist communities. 
um, and also because of the timing when when uh, you know when this was was established, it's also really to help focus on this eighth year, on this eighth and first year, when people don't realize that uh, that the both the the requirements and the challenges and struggles of Shemitah still apply. So, so, the, so the Shemitah Fund is there to help extend um, the opportunity to partner in Shemitah to a broader section of the Jewish community here, and also to to extend people's awareness of the needs of the farmers keeping Shemitah through the eighth year. David Mitkowski is with us. He's executive director of the Shemitah Fund. Um, and obviously during the seventh year, it's an easier effort because people are right in the middle of the whole Shemitah thing, and now they have to realize that in the eighth year, as you described, that there's still a need out there. That, yeah, uh, that is absolutely correct. In fact, part of the added struggle that farmers have in the eighth year, on the one hand, it's because they have to invest in replanting um, when they still don't have income and the prospect of income for, for a number of, of months yet, yet to come, depending on the crop, as I mentioned, and also because in the seventh year, more people are, are aware of the need to help, and by the time Rosh Hashanah comes, people assume that everything is taken care of, everything is over, and so it's it's that much harder of a struggle for the farmers, and and uh, and uh, at the same time for those of us trying to you know to help support them and help make it possible for them to uh, complete the uh, Shemitah cycle. You actually um, uh, feature some of the farmers on the website, right? Shemitahfund.org, so people could see some of the stories and what people are going through this year. Most definitely. I, I had the uh, privilege of uh, visiting Israel a number of months ago, uh, and I, I toured the, the country top to bottom, uh, you know, side to side, and, and visited farmers uh, in every part of the country. I, I visited about 30 farms in all, obviously a fraction of the, you know, of the, uh, as I said, almost 3,500 farms that have been keeping Shemitah. Um, but I really got to see a wonderful cross-section of of these farmers to understand what it means to them to be uh, cultivating the land of Israel after 2,000 years years of uh, Galut and, and to be back in Israel where Jews can, you know, own farmland and, and, and cultivate the, the, the holy soil of Eretz Israel for the first time. And for them, part and parcel of that is, you know, is the ability to keep mitzvot ha-tliot ha- the special mitzvot that we have the opportunity to keep only in Israel. And it's the farmers who really are on the front lines of keeping this. They're, they're incumbent upon all of Kuala Israel, but the ones who can actually do it are the two percent of Israel's workforce who are, you know, who, who are the farmers. And so we 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 took video on all all of my visits uh, and wanted to be able to share the inspiring stories of these farmers, of their level of uh, emuna, of their level of mesirut nefesh, um, that they are really uh, committed to uh, keeping this, this important and challenging mitzvah. I mean, imagine keeping Shabbos for an entire year where, where, where you can't work and you can't earn, earn income. You know, obviously it's not Shabbos in terms of the other halachot, but, right. but in terms of productivity, it's, it's, a, it's a huge undertaking. And then these videos help people to really uh, understand and comprehend what it means for them, both from a, a religious perspective and, and from how do they cope with it on a day-to-day basis. What type of rabbinic support does the Shemitah Fund have? So the the uh, Shemitah Fund has uh, a a uh, significant and growing rabbinic advisory committee uh, of prominent rabbis from uh, from the modern Orthodox community here in the states and to, to some extent in in, in Israel uh, as well. Even though our focus is primarily here in the states, we have uh, uh, current and former uh, presidents of of the RCA, heads of uh, religious Zionists of America, um, and and again we're, we're partners with with Karen Ashvitz, which has its, its own. A prominent rabbinic board from the yeshivish community as well. So this is really uh, an important partnership rabbinically and in terms of the uh, broader uh, Orthodox world 
um, and, you know, to some extent beyond as well, really gathering uh, uh, the community together in unity in support of this important mitzvah. And as you said with Tu B'Shvat on Monday, it's a, uh, it's, it's a good time of year to do this, right? Uh, it, it, it certainly it certainly is one of those moments on the calendar that helps call attention in this, you know, what people would, would consider first year or eighth year, you know, kind of post-Shemitah, to the fact that, that for many of the farmers, Shemitah is, is still ongoing, and the farmers really still need our help in this mitzvah palit, in this uh, a collective mitzvah that, that they're keeping on behalf of the entire Jewish people. All right. Uh, David Metkowski, Executive Director of the Shemitah Fund. How do people support the fund? So people can uh, go on the website, shmitahfund.org, that's S-H-M-I-T-A-H, fund.org, and uh, in addition to seeing all the inspiring videos and, and reading more about the, the details, et cetera, there's a lot of information, they can click the Donate Now button and make a donation online. Um, if people want, they can also uh, uh, send in uh, a check to our address, which is the Shmita Fund, 560 Sylvan Avenue, uh, suite 2050, Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey, 07632. All right, the website is shmitahfund.org, S-H-M-I-T-A-H, fund.org. The address is 560 Sylvan Avenue, S-Y-L-V-A-N, suite 2050 in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey, and the zip code is 07632. Again, that's 560 Sylvan Avenue, suite 2050, Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey, 07632. Go to the website, easy way to donate, shmitahfund.org, S-H-M-I-T-A-H, fund.org. David Mitkowski, Executive Director of the Shemitah Fund, helping Israel's farmers in the quote-unquote eighth year of the Shemitah cycle. David, thank you so much for joining us, and have a happy Tuba Shvat. Thank you. You as well, and Shabbat Shalom. Thanks so much for having me. Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM.
Chaim in the AM. That's uh, Az Yashir uh, done by the Shira Chadasha Boys Choir. Trying to get to as many Az Yashirs as possible this morning. Not finding all the ones that are being requested, but uh, doing our best. Uh, on select mornings here at JMN, we study the uh, laws of uh, Chesed as outlined by the Chavetz Chaim in the Sefer Avas Chesed in memory of my mother, Esther Bas Yosef Halevi. The mitzvah of extending kindness, which we are commanded to do by the Torah, does not distinguish between a recipient who is liked or not liked, even if the loan is repeated 100 times. Since the Torah was very explicit in stating this obligation in the context of returning a lost object, when you encounter the ox belonging to your enemy, so to the mitzvah of unloading, as the Pasuk states, when you see the donkey belonging to your enemy faltering under the load it was carrying, and you decline to help him, you must help him lighten that load. And the Gemara says in Baba Metziah that obligation is so, even if repeated up to 100 times. So the mitzvah of extending kindness, which we're commanded to do by the Torah, does not distinguish between a recipient who is liked or not liked, even if the loan is repeated 100 times. Times. Sefer Avas Chesed, Laws of Chesed, the Chavetz Chaim, memory of my mother, Esther Basar Yosef Alevi. Again, that's Esther Basar Yosef Alevi, and I thank you for participating with us in that very special, that very special session of uh, studying the Laws of Chesed in memory of my mother. JM in the AM at 25 minutes before 8 o'clock, candle lighting at 4.41. Monday is 2 Bishvat here at JM in the AM. Make sure to be tuned in. Nachum Siegel Network Facebook update page has the has the burger, the sandwich that we're trying to name for the Kosher Halftime Show, thanks to our friends at the Teaneck Doghouse. Anybody out there who would like to participate, just go to our Facebook update page, uh, Nahum Siegel Network. You'll see it there. You'll see the picture. It does include a slice, by the way, of uh, of uh, grilled kishka. It does include that. <laughs> and... Uh, all you got to do is name it. Go to the comment section of that post, and we're looking for a good name for it. It's as simple as that. The winner, of course, will be um, will be the recipient of a great prize that we can guarantee. More coming up. It's JM in the AM with Simcha Liner.
Shalim Malechem, Malachi Hastorins, Malachi Elio. Shalim Malechem, Malachi Hastorins, Malachi Yitzi Spinner with Shalom Aleichem before that simple liner's Ashes Chayel. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Shira, Erev Shabbos Parshas B'Shalach with candlelighting at 441. Big thank you to our friends OnlySimchas.com. OnlySimchas.com, in addition to all their Simchas, continue to feature a whole bunch of great material from our radio broadcasts in their news section, a relatively new news section that gives you a whole perspective on different things going on. Uh, in the Jewish world. So thank you, OnlySimchas.com. Big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. JewishWorldReview.com continues to enthusiastically recommend our incredible live stream, which continues with Naomi Nachman at 9 o'clock this morning, and then our Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix, and Matis on JM Sunday this coming Sunday morning, and Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night, uh, hosted by Avrami Finkelstein and the featuring by Eliezer Zwickler uh, with his Divrei Torah. A lot of great stuff going on all the time. Uh, thank you, JewishWorldReview.com, for uh, heralding our live stream to your uh, hundreds of thousands of listeners. It is much appreciated, and everybody who wants to print out a zillion articles before Shabbos about everything going on in this world, especially the Jewish world, check it out by going to JewishWorldReview.com. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to the U.S., and welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, thank you. It's good to be back, and thank you for the warm welcome with the snowstorm coming, the yeah. blizzard. Greece had no snow, huh? Uh, Greece had no snow. It was 16, beautiful. Israel was beautiful every day. Wow. So, That's my mistake. I'm hanging out in the wrong part of the world. Yes, you, you have to <clears> find <throat> a good winter studio. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, or year-round studio. That includes weather like you described. Um how about a word about the uh, the passing of Ronnie Greenwald? You are somebody who can attest to the difference that one person can make. There have been some tremendous tributes through social media and email and many other uh, forum um, uh, about his life and about his involvement. What could you tell us? Well, obviously, I knew Ronnie very well. He was a unique individual whose care and concern for every Jew and whose involvements uh, beyond the Jewish community as well, but certainly his work as uh, as an educator, as somebody who, who reached out to young people in trouble, even taking them to in, into his own home, 
the generations he raised uh, and influenced in, in the camps and that he ran. Uh, he was truly a unique individual, and uh, he accomplished so much in, in his lifetime. And he didn't look for it uh, to get fanfare and recognition. Uh, sometimes a lot of his work was, uh, let's say, secret uh, in an earlier in earlier years. Uh, and 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 many lessons, of course, to be uh, learned from somebody like him. But I, I think one of them I want to point out is the the fearlessness to get involved. Right? Sometimes, and I'm sure you know this because you've been involved in so many different situations, high profile ones, and some nerve wracking ones. Uh, you need to have sometimes a little bit of fearlessness to to get involved and to make your voice heard. Absolutely. And, you know, people shy away because something is controversial or you're likely to be criticized, taking on, you know, some of the issues of child abuse and things like that, where he was uh, very outspoken, correctly so, and um, didn't hesitate because of fear of uh, being criticized or, or ostracized. All right, so we remember Ronnie Greenwald, and uh, I'm sure that, uh, I mean, I read some of the tributes, and I know that the, the, the funeral... Um, not just packed in both locations, but uh, some amazing tributes uh, given to him as well. Uh, well deserved. Um, Malcolm, the uh, we br- I, I bring this up almost every week. The the random attacks that it seems the Israeli military and police are having trouble dealing with, and we've discussed just how impossible a situation it is. Not to criticize, but you know what I mean. Uh, this Utniel stabbing, the murder of Daphne Meir, it, it really shocked and shook the Jewish world, and again, as we point out, it seems so many times, it seems like we're always losing our best, but then when you and I discuss this, we, we often conclude everybody seems to be the best, if you know what I mean. Yes, I do know what you mean, and I, I thought about that very thing when I first heard the news, and it, it, it did have a unique impact, uh, one, because of the horrendous nature of the attack. She was painting the door frame and had her back to the street and, and was painting um, when she was attacked in front of her children, and she she tried to prevent him from entering and, and uh, harming them. The uh, So the brutality of it, the nature of, of the victim, her, her incredible personal history, uh, uh, the adoption of two foster children in addition to her own children, the um, stories about her and her openness, her, her tremendous uh, activities as a nurse and in other realms, uh, I think touch people in a, in a special way, although every victim and every tragedy is terrible. But the, um, the, the inability, perhaps, as, as some might see it, to, to rein this in is, is not correct. They are reining it in. There are less attacks uh, than there were, and there are many more arrests than perhaps we read about because when something's prevented, nobody sees it. You only see it when, when it actually happens. And they they just uh, thwarted a cell that was uh, set up by Jawad Nasrallah, uh, the son of Hassan Nasrallah, as you know, the head of the Hezbollah. And uh, they tracked down $5,000 that was sent paid to the to the Palestinians to commit an attack. Uh, and they are clearly trying to seduce people. Bibi's, uh, has sp- the prime minister, has spoken out very strongly this week about, again, about incitement. And there are some videos showing the PA's involvement, continued involvement in, in incitement. Uh, we see Hamas leaders, again, calling for for a holy war. Hania himself, the head of Hamas, uh, uh, did so. There are, are many examples of the 
um, of the activities, the PA incitement that is uh, that is ongoing, was criticized by the United States this past week again, but we don't see any kind of real consequence. The problem is that there are limited steps you can take against the PA. We shut off almost all the money. We, you know, he is he doesn't care because he keeps uh, saying that he's better than any alternative, and you know that he'll quit or that the PA will collapse, which is one of the concerns that you hear expressed more and more, and in fact was a subject of discussion in the Israeli cabinet. So the, the, the difficulty in dealing with a manifestation like this, where individuals incited by the online or by remarks of, of an of a imam or a leader or, or by ISIS, uh, is is very hard. No, no government in the world has yet come up with a magic formula for dealing with it. The early on in the uh, you know once once this all started after Sukkot, there was speculation about whether the uh, the perpetrators were specifically avoiding Judea and Samaria, staying in the more metropolis uh, you know type of um, areas of Israel. Then it seems that they you know went ahead and incorporated those areas as well. Uh, the reality is. That if we do believe, and you pointed this out each time, if we do believe that this is not a a coordinated effort, that it's not you know under one umbrella with you know specific instructions, then, then all that is is sort of coincidence, right? And and wherever they were hitting early on is probably unrelated to wherever they're attacking now. So far, from all my discussions and last week in Israel, met with uh, all top leadership, uh, I, I, nobody has has tracked down that this any sort of coordination in most of the cases doesn't mean there aren't ties or people weren't influenced by you know some of the same incitement but it is not a centralized operation where you can go after a a key leader or or some sort of a framework when it's it's often spontaneous and you see the parents discussing it sometimes the parents are more surprised uh, when they find out it's their own kids some of them then praise them and some of them condemn them but the the um, you know this is a far more difficult uh, thing to attack. It's like attacking crime in a in a metropolitan area. They avoided, I think, from from the territories a not to bring back bring down the, the demolitions and not to and that it's easier to track them when when they attack. Um, but he, I think that they were trying to spread a terror to make life intolerable. This is the goal, and so you strike in the in cities and in various places that you show that you can hit Ranana, you can hit Haifa, you can hit any place, and and as Khamenei said in his book, you you make life intolerable. The people get scared, and eventually they will run away. They will not run away, but it does have the impact of of making people wary and walking on the streets and always looking over their shoulder. Did I read correctly that the Utniel murderer was 16 years old? That's what they uh, they said, and he he uh, he was known to the people in the community. Had done work in the, in the community. So, um, what's your what's your comment about that? I mean, if uh, if the incitement exactly is exactly what incitement does, yeah. it, it targets the most vulnerable in communities. It, it can reach out. You make somebody a hero. Somebody young people who why do we've seen it here in America where they in Columbine and other places where they seek revenge or they. You know, want to become famous, or they they are incited, or they you know are motivated by some demon inside themselves. But uh, it, too often here, this becomes uh, a ticket to to uh, stardom and to recognition, or they think they're doing it for the cause. And it's one of the reasons why 
um, people who criticize the demolition of the houses, I think are wrong, because if one understands the cultural context that once somebody does this, he doesn't care. He, he wants to die. But his, if he knows his family is going to pay a price, if they're going to lose their house, obviously they're going to get money from the PA because they pay every, quote, martyr's uh, family. But if they know that there's going to be a price that their family will pay, they may be dissuaded from doing it. I wonder. I wonder if it's, an, if it's a uh, deterrent or not. Oh, it's a, definitely a deterrent. Hmm. And even stricter action, arresting families and things. But the problem is that the international community then comes down on Israel, and Israel has to do what it has to do. And it's, it, it, uh, you know, it's not an easy decision each time. They try to weigh it, but, and they have to go through a court process in order to get permission to, to de- demolish a house. But it, in this setting, it is a very effective deterrent. And, and knowing the cultural factors that are involved, you understand why it's uh, so significant in the limited number of steps that Israel can take. Oh, I don't even see criticism of Israel in those cases, but I guess I'm just not looking in the right places, right? I mean, we don't see oh, that. I get it all the time. You see it all the Interviews time, I guess. and stuff, and people, you know, who, who don't understand, they say, well, why do you pun- punish uh, the family? Well, first of all, if it's a minor, I think the family should be held to account, and and we have to find out, do they... What, what is the atmosphere in the house? Have they encouraged it? Did they in any way know? Sometimes the families are truly innocent and had no I- involvement in it. In other cases, we find that the, there was an atmosphere that was conducive to it. Right. Um, the International Atomic Energy Agency declared Saturday that Iran had fulfilled requirements to limit its nuclear activities, a step that automatically lifted nuclear-related economic sanctions imposed by the U.N., E.U., and the U.S., the move freed Iran to sell much more oil and gain control of roughly $100 billion in impounded money, ending a prolonged isolation that has driven the country into a deep economic malaise. The action signaled what diplomats have called Implementation Day, the most important phase so far of the historic nuclear agreement known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action that Iran reached with the major world powers on July the 14th of last year. Implementation Day, I assume, is the final step, right? There, there are no more steps now at this point, correct? Well, there are because there's extensive monitoring. In right. Place. There are, but but yes, that is the day when the uh, process of liberating their funds, as they would see it, or as we see it, you know, paying off the Iranians for so far uh, limited compliance. Uh, we see that that Iran, what they did with our sailors, and more than that, if people would have seen the video that he put out, humiliating them, talking about how they were crying, and and think about what the impact is in Iran. When, when you show those kind of films and they say this is the powerful United States and they they um, act in this way and, and the fact that we thank them in an obsequious way I think and the uh, I'm glad this, the sailors were released and uh, not harmed and not kept for a long period but I mean there's still a lot of unanswered questions now there are reports that some money was transferred and which, which is not yet confirmed and not not uh, proven, but there, there's no change, fundamental change in Iran's behavior. You see the increased activities with Hezbollah. We see their continued activities, whether it's in the Gulf, whether it's around Israel, that they're trying to expand activities. Uh, this week, the the um, election screening, uh, February 26th, is the uh, national elections for both the Supreme Council, which is who will be responsible not only for approving legislation, but for selecting the next uh, Ayatollah, 
a supreme leader, mm. uh, and also for the parliament. And there were 3,000 reformist candidates. 30 were approved. So 99% were knocked out of the, of the box by the uh, reformers, meaning that they cannot run. There is some appeal process, but it's, it's not likely to, to have much uh, impact. And when we look at what is the benefit, where these benefits go, we have to remember that the Iran Revolutionary Guard and the Khomeini and, uh, and the government control about 45% together of the economy, the Basijis and others in, included. So they will, will be major uh, uh, beneficiaries. So you're not going to see um, uh, massive monies going to the people, but we're going to see money going into military to their buying airplanes, uh, civilian aircraft as well, but signing huge deals with Russia, with others to to um, um, buy advanced jets and and other military equipment, and of course they're going to be funneling money around the world to their uh, activities, um, and, w- and and we've seen the statements that have have come out and emerged from Iran even uh, during negotiations, and now post. Uh, implementation days, you say, and that is the term that was in the agreement, which meant the day when they met the requirements by pouring concrete into the reactor, by reducing the number of centrifuges and exporting the uh, enriched uranium, which they did. Uh, but then they tell us that they're going to do more missile tests, and even though we put sanctions, some sanctions, uh, on Iranians and people involved in, in helping Iran's ballistic missile development, uh, but they just said, we're going to do another test, and we don't care about the, the international reaction. We don't, in defiance of all of the supposed restrictions, uh, the Congress is, is moving ahead on the Iran Terror Finance Transparency Act. They want to see, have more oversight. They want to see uh, more uh, restrictions placed on them, and the administration has said that the relinquishing of, of any of the uh, restrictions and any of the sanctions are only related to the nuclear program, not to their violation of human rights, not to their involvement in support of global terrorism. Those things uh, will all continue. And we met with um, the person responsible for their implementation, and they talked about how they're monitoring and that they have other sanctions ready to go. But you see that the Iranian involvement in the region, in the in Syria, for instance, and um, the, uh, their support for uh, other groups, by the way, in Gaza, a new group, Al Sabrin, and others that they that you know are going to escalate violence. Ultimately, um, th- these these are proof that that they haven't uh, made any real changes. They don't see it, any lessening of the executions inside Iran, and the um, uh, you see that the uh, IRGC and others are talking about their activities that Lebanese papers uh, expose uh, some of the activities, some of the intentions and, and, and statements about uh, what they what their intentions are and what they're doing. So I don't expect that we're going to see any massive change in their behavior. The oil um, price drop is a bit of a shock for them because when they went out of business, they were producing 700,000 barrels. They're going to they're talking about now coming in with 500,000 barrels a day at a time when the barrel costs more than the oil in it. And, you know, they were, went out when it was $109 a barrel. Wow. Now they're coming in when it was, you know, it fell below what, 27. Now it went up a little bit. But for them, that influx of, of cash is just not, is not going to be there. But the, um, 
tens of billions at $50 billion, and even though some of it will remain abroad and some of it will go to pay off some things, will still give them enough money to uh, escalate their their various nefarious activities. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and on the NSN app, of course. Uh, when the, the the purchases you mentioned, purchases, uh, how quickly are those going to happen? Their stock That's a very good question, and and I don't think American companies, by the way, are going to rush in to do business because there's still a lot of question marks and still restrictions on the banking system. Well, I'm assuming it's Russia, right? That is most that you're most concerned about. Well, the Russians sell up weapons, but there are a lot of other com- countries that are running in to do business. French delegations, British delegations, Italians, others have been there literally since the day not of implementation, but the day the agreement was signed, and even before that, they were preparing. They were, they had drawn up all the documents and waited to sign it as soon as it became legal to do so, but a lot of the preliminary work. I don't think, though, that, that American companies and others, even some international companies, are going to be so willing to jump into it. They still have limited access to, to the American banking system. Uh, we, will, we will have to see what happens um, in terms of uh, the delivery on these purchases, Russia is very hungry for money. They were the major oil exporter in the world, not Saudi Arabia, and their economy is in freefall generally, and they've made huge investments abroad. Iran has been sponsoring their investment, their involvement in Syria, but you see Iran, uh, Russia today has this big uh, uh, demonstration of their power in the Mediterranean by bringing in a destroyer and bringing from the Pacific one of their missile carriers and doing demonstrations and bringing reporters on board, uh, which I think is a message that they intend their presence there in Latakia and Syria and their defense of Assad to be permanent. And they have flown 5,700 missions since September when they began you know, their bombing runs. Uh, this is hugely expensive, aside from the fact that uh, if you think of that number of bombings, that perhaps their achievement has been... Uh, uh, somewhat limited. So Iran is going to try to exploit this in any way that it can. I think the election is going to be very critical to, as an indication of uh, future direction. And if the West is smart, we will work with the groups within the country. We will um, try to, to uh, uh, give them some sense of assurance and that the West will be with them in this way. And now the the regime can say, look, we, we outsmarted the West, we ran this deal, we got the, the sanctions off, and the expectations in Iran are very high, and I don't believe can be met. So that could lead to further uh, alienation and, and frustration amongst the population, because they hear of tens of billions of dollars, but they ain't going to see it after they, the government and the IRGC and everybody takes their cut. <laughs> and uh, we'll see whether the people still want to see them spending all this money in Syria and Iraq and elsewhere, it will, I think, the the general acceptance of Iran is, to me, as worrisome as the release of money, because this gives them greater legitimacy in their efforts, and the U.S. seems to be be in agreement that they can play this aggressive role in Iraq, where they're essentially taking over, in Syria, in in Lebanon, and, uh, of course, there's support for terrorism on three sides of Israel. Tell me about this prisoner release from this past uh, weekend and uh, 
I'm, I'm just having trouble understanding if one of the prisoners were, was not released because of his Jewish identity, or is that just something that's being conjectured, you know, in social media? No, we do not know. Robert Levinson, who was a former FBI and perhaps CIA uh, employee, uh, who was there uh, not on a spying mission, <clears throat> but he was arrested uh, years ago and. The last time I think the family heard from him was three years ago in a video where he said that he wasn't feeling well and, uh, you know, it was very difficult. Uh, but there's been no word about him. And now there's speculation that Iran doesn't have him or that, unfortunately, he may have, uh, God forbid, passed away or whatever. But he, he original reports, the first day, the reports were that he was one of the five. Uh-huh. Then it became clear that he was not one of those who, who was released. And... While the administration says they are working on it, and um, perhaps there, there should not have been a deal until we we got back. Um, yeah, and if all this where Levinson is, and if all this is a goodwill gesture, then why wouldn't his why wouldn't accurate information about where he is or what's happened to him, you know, also be part of a goodwill gesture? Well, they're probably saying you know they don't know or that they haven't got the information, which is something that is often the case. Uh, where they don't want the truth to come out, right. and there are cases where they really don't know. Yeah, uh, we've talked about the uh, arms race or the uh, you know the race to nuclear weapons that will really escalate once this uh, once implementation day has arrived, and we know that it has, has arrived. Saudi Arabia has already made it clear, right, that is that they're going to keep up with whatever Iran does in terms of nuclear weapons. They are, and uh, they're more likely to purchase it than to go through the whole process of development. They can buy it from Pakistan. You can buy it. A lot of stuff uh, is, is available online, but for for Saudi Arabia right now, the conflict with Iran is is escalating and intensifying. It's manifest in Yemen. It's manifest in Syria. But this is essentially the Sunni Shiite battle being being played out. These are the two key leaders: is Saudi Arabia, the leader of the Sunnis, and the uh, the Shiites being led by Iran. And now with the additional funding, we know that Iran is building a new a naval port. In, in Qatar, we know that the French and British are, uh, and that Saudi Arabia is beefing up its military. It's tied down somewhat with the war in Yemen, which should have been over a long time ago. Um, the, uh, but Iran is, is sup- supporting the Houthis, and obviously it, it, Saudi Arabia is directly involved and has been bombing and engaged uh, militarily there for uh, now for a long time. Uh, so Saudi Arabia is... is uh, very angry over the deal they they see iran as the major threat and it's one of the reasons why they warmed up to israel a little bit um and so have others the uh, the um, saudis alone can't can't handle this obviously and they are they have internal problems with the ascension of the new king and his son being a very aggressive young uh, guy i i don't know what the what the internal divisions are they, they criticize him for his handling of the war in Yemen. They criticize him for other things, uh, and most of all for the internal mani- um, machinations about who will succeed the current king uh, and knocking some of the people who are in line uh, out of the, out of the line of succession. But you, you know, w- w- we see the price that is being paid across uh, the region and the Middle East. The turmoil points to the fact that there's one island of stability. Guess where that is? Yeah, well, I guess that's Israel. 
Uh, and you all, and look, Saudi Arabia seems to be the poster child for, for reaction to Iran. Uh, who else is in that category? You know, countries that feel like, oh, uh, uh, well, they have a coalition now. Right. Yeah, you mentioned uh, this last some week. downgraded their relations with Iran, some that broke relations, but Bahrain is one, Qatar, uh, um, Kuwait, um, the UAE um, is very strong on that. Uh, Sudan has joined them, even though they were an Iranian uh, ally. They've switched now. Um, so, but the key are the Gulf, uh, the Gulf states, right. except for Qatar. Because you think that really everybody involved, including Iraq, would be watching Iran very closely and would and would you know understand the significance and importance of of building up their own arsenal as Iran does. Well, when you talk about Iraq, Iraq is not really a state today. It's more, it's closer to Syria than it is to a unified state functioning as such. And the Iranians have cleverly, under with U.S. permission, and under the guise of you know fighting ISIS or whatever, really established themselves. And and um, I'm afraid that that presence is permanent. And the government kowtows to to Iran, so they boast of the fact that they control Baghdad, Damascus. Uh, Beirut and and Sana for Arab capitals. Right. Uh, did you see that there's another dispute over uh, buildings purchased in Hebron uh, that the Jewish community says were purchased legally, and now, of course, the defense minister has evacuated the buildings. And uh, just another one of these situations is probably going to go on for years. Well, this is a complicated uh, case. This is everything because you know that to purchase uh, property for the Jews to purchase property in Hebron and other areas requires a whole series of steps it's not enough just to make a legal purchase you have to get permission you have to get you have to pass certain uh, uh, government um, requirements uh, and in the case this case I think 200 people were removed from the houses and the government acted against it led by defense minister Yalom who has strongly defended his action and saying look if you violate the law there's going to be a consequence on either side um, one of the counter arguments is that the Arabs are building a lot of illegal housing. There is some demolition, but it's it's limited. On the other hand, there's there's more construction. You see the American criticism of Israel for allowing uh, new settlement and allowing uh, you know more uh, of the land to be um, expropriated uh, for construction. And here you have a particular case, and because they said that the uh, requirements were not met. That they had to, that he had to act. It, it'll cause a government crisis, I have no doubt. Right. And already, some ministers are are attacking uh, the Alom and Defense Ministry for taking the action that they did. Uh, it's very sensitive, and it and you know the international community then jumps on each of these cases and, and says, "You see that they're just trying to change the faces, eliminates the two-state solution, this, all the things that we heard over the last uh, week from Western officials of all kinds." Yeah. Uh, did you see that the Donald Trump has called for the embassy to be moved to Jerusalem? That's very nice. I, mean, I wonder if I want the Trump name on it, though. The, men, the reason I mention it is because some people thought that he'd be the only Republican candidate who'd be able to avoid you know, taking that position publicly, uh, because basically he says and does what he wants, as compared to you know what, what seems like with other candidates who do things in a more calculated manner. And nonetheless... Even he's hopped on what has become a real Republican bandwagon issue. Yes, yeah, so well, everybody promises that candidates on all sides, uh, including President Obama, including Jimmy Carter, including Clinton, including Bush and Bush, everybody promises it to us 
uh, when they don't have to deliver on it. And then, of course, there's always complications or reasons why the embassy can't be moved to West Jerusalem. We're not talking about East Jerusalem. We're talking about West Jerusalem. And um, uh, so I, I don't put too much hope. I mean, we all want to hear people say it and reaffirm it. Today, the Chinese leader talked about the creation of a Palestinian state with uh, East Jerusalem as its capital, uh, reaffirmed that you know they've increased their trade with Israel, but took a stand uh, uh, sympathetic to the creation of a, of a Palestinian state. So we shouldn't take for granted that the world accepts the, the unity of Jerusalem or the, um, the need for our embassy and other embassies to be located there where the seat of government is. Finally, look at this article that I found in the Jerusalem Post. Pundits would have been dismissed as clueless had they predicted a decade ago that in a critical EU discussion in the Middle East, Greece and Cyprus would emerge as the countries that would, in the words of U.S. President Barack Obama, quote, have Israel's back. Greece and Cyprus, two countries that for decades were arguably the most pro-Palestinian countries in Europe, two countries that could be counted on regularly to bash Israel. They were all of a sudden going to come to Israel's diplomatic aid? No way. Yet that's exactly what happened this week when Greece and Cyprus led a charge of about half a dozen eastern and southern European states to block the passage of language and EU resolution in the Middle East peace process that would have enshrined the idea of differentiation of the territories from Israel, a move that could have triggered a slew of measures that would make the recent labeling of settlement products seemed tame by comparison. So your delegation obviously did some very good work over the last few days. Of course, we take full credit for <laughs> it. Um, but remember, it, Greece went through an election, and everybody thought that the move from a right-wing to a left-wing government would be the end of the relationship. Israel's strategic death today is for its air force is Greece. They do bombing runs. They do tests, uh, you know, and strategies against the Sam. Um, ballistic, uh, air defense system, and they do a lot of joint exercises, including with Cyprus, and they see this, and we see it, as the core of an eastern Mediterranean alliance that we take Israel out of the Middle East, and other countries like Egypt could join Jordan, and, uh, and maybe one day Turkey, uh, uh, Morocco, Tunisia, others who are interested, because I've spoken to, to a lot of the governments about it, and, uh, you know, with economic trade tourism with uh, regard to, to security, Israel's high-tech, what they could do in, in water reclamation, uh, harvest, uh, post-harvest uh, rec- reclamation, so many other areas where they could, they would have a mutuality of interest. And, and next week, the heads of the three countries, Israel, Cyprus, and Greece, are coming together for a major summit. But also, you know, the Indian foreign minister said that they, this week was in Israel and said that we t- attached the highest level importance to the relationship uh, with Israel, and uh, there is a tremendous amount of trade and, and exchanges going on. Uh, Greece and Cyprus uh, did do it. We're not, not may not happen in every case, but certainly the, with them, the, they see this as a, a relationship of the highest importance, and the and it is being manifest in, in various ways. And and by the way, you hear it also from the Arab countries increasingly where they are, are at times uh, quoted and leaders are, are quoted as uh, as saying the right things and taking the right positions. They obviously don't always do it uh, publicly. It's, it's We understand the, the restrictions, but a lot of stuff is going on quietly. There's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of developments which could bode well and Israel's integration into the region, and there's almost no Arab country that doesn't have some sort of communication uh, with Israel today, so the 
what you're seeing in, in terms of Cyprus and Greece, um, and hopefully there'll be an improvement in the relationship with Turkey, though I think it'll take a period of time. We hope to visit there and to see firsthand what's, uh, what's happening with the President's Conference uh, in, in February. Um, we have to try and pursue it for Israel. Those who talk about Israel being isolated are just wrong. And Dory Gold gave a speech about it this week, the Director General of Foreign Ministry, and cited examples of, of how Israel today with Japan, China, uh, what I mentioned about India, are all reaching out to Israel today and, and building stronger and uh, ties with delegations coming there constantly. So people shouldn't get too depressed. And, and note that Israel has a new oil discovery. So <laughs> we have another field coming online which um, uh, I think will have 8.9 trillion cubic feet of, of gas. So this is, um, you know, these are terrific developments when you, you think about their long-term implications. Yeah, well, that's that's a good way to wrap up with some good news, huh? Always, uh... Always good. And Jihad John was killed, you know, right. in a bombing, so that's good news. There is some good news out there. Uh, all right, Malcolm, thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak Have again next job. week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Fridays here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the... Ri- privilege of reading Parshas B'Shalach. Parshas B'Shalach is a very rich parsha. According to the Chinuch, it contains but one mitzvah, a restriction, that of the Isur of Tchumim, not permitting someone to go literally out of their boundary, beyond their city limits on Shabbos. The Shabbos is called Shabbos Shira, because this is the Shabbos that we relive, we read of how Am Yisrael, several million souls, miraculously crossed the Yamsuf when Egypt was in hot pursuit of them, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu drowned the Egyptians in the same waters that at the same time was dry land for the Jewish people. I'd like to ask an obvious question. Why? Why does the sea split for the Jewish people? So you're going to tell me, well, Mitzrayim was running after them. And, as the Medrash says, Hayam Soger, the water was in front of them, the enemy was in hot pursuit, and the wild animals were on either side of the Midbar, and so, Bnei Yisrael were in a pickle, a very dangerous situation, and God created a circumstance whereby he was able to save them. The Midrash basically asks my question, The Midrash is asking a very profound question. Why in actuality 
is Yitzias Mitzrayim, the Exodus, in two stages. In last week, we leave Egypt, and now in this week, in Bishalach, Mitzrayim is running after B'nai Yisrael, the sea splits. Why did their salvation and redemption have to come in two stages? And the Medrash gives, this is in Medrash Rabbah, in chapter 21, paragraph 5, a very powerful answer in the name of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Why did it happen this way? And he responds and says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was Mis'aveh L'Tfilason Shel Yisrael. God wanted to hear the Jewish people pray. Now what does that mean? He says as follows, To what may it be compared? And he gives the following analogy to a princess who was being disturbed and molested by robbers. And so she cries out. It just so happens that the king was passing by he heard a cries and he saved her. The king wanted to have a relationship with her. And at the moment, she was not interested. What did the king do? The wise king recreated the opportunity for their initial meeting. Namely... He arranged for persons to act as if they were, again, highwaymen, there to attack her. Once again, she screams, and he comes to her rescue. And this is what the king says, once again, I was waiting for your voice to hear your cries, to be there. Says Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, listen to this powerful response. Kach Yisrael, so to the Jewish people, when they were in Egypt, and Egypt was oppressing them, the Torah tells us that Vayizaku, they cried out to God from their hard work, min and God then goes to work, sends Moshe, ten plagues, and what happens? He takes them out of Mitzrayim. And, God wanted to hear their prayers of thanksgiving, their prayers of dependence upon him, just as they had cried out to him in Egypt. The low you wrote sin. Unfortunately, the Jewish people did not respond in kind. 
even if you're going to say that of course they recognized that it was God who took them out, but that same kind of plea with the intensity of what initially was a plea of help us Hashem, now there was no equal response of thanksgiving on their part. They left Egypt, of course they were thankful, but they did not sing Shira, and they did not praise God with the same intensity that they had cried out to Him to please save them. So what does Hashem do? Hashem causes Paro to pursue them. And therefore, when they are in this difficult situation, the Torah tells us in the beginning of this week's parsha, Vayitzaku B'nei Yisrael El Hashem. The Jewish people cry out to God, namely, says the Medrash, in the same way that you cried out to me initially. And this is what God wanted. And this is why, according to the Medrash, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim was in the two stages in order that they would respond in kind, they would pray to Hashem with that same intensity that they had prayed in Mitzrayim. This is such a powerful idea. It shows that oftentimes a tzara comes upon an individual because that person perhaps had not sufficiently prayed when times were good. And now Hashem says, I need to hear from you. I didn't hear from you with an incredible feeling of thanksgiving prior to the trouble. Now that a trouble comes upon you, there is that koach of tefillah which is aroused. And the truth of the matter is, Rashi says on this verse, in the beginning of the parasha, in Perek Yudalid, Pasuk 10, Rashi says, Topsu Umnus Avosam. They adopted the craft of their forefathers, namely prayer. And Rashi goes on to show how Avram, Yisak, and Yaakov each prayed. And B'nai Yisrael were following in the ways of the Avos. But interestingly, Rashi brings a Pesach to prove that each of them prayed. And regarding Avram, Rashi cites the Pesach in Vayera, after Hashem destroys Sodom, in chapter 19, Pasuk 27, Avram Baboker, Avram arises early in the morning, to the place where he had stood, which is Tefillah, as Pnei Hashem. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zechat Levracha, asks, 
Why does Rashi choose this verse to show that Avram Avinu prays? Why doesn't he go to an earlier verse in chapter 18, where there, before Hashem destroys Sodom, Avram steps forward and he asks and prays to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is in chapter 18, Pasuk 23. Why go to a later Pasuk? And the Rebbe answers very powerfully, that Avram prayed before, everybody prays at a time of crisis. Hashem was about to destroy five cities. Of course, someone would pray. But after they were already destroyed, why are you praying? Ah, so the Rebbe showed that Avram Avinu had that same intensity of prayer after the crisis was over, as when he prayed prior to. And this is that powerful lesson that Parshas Bishalach is teaching us according to Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, and that is the Koach of Tefillah, the great power of prayer, reminding us of the efficacy of prayer, and how much each and every one of us should take our prayers so seriously, and especially when Bli Ayan Hara, things are going good. Let Hashem hear from us how thankful we are for all the blessings that we have in our life. I just wish to conclude by reminding everybody that this coming Sunday night and Monday is Chu Bishvat, the 15th day of the month of Shvat, which the Mishnah tells us at the beginning of Rosh Hashanah is one of the four Rosh Hashanah in the Jewish calendar year, the Rosh Hashanah for the trees. Now what does that mean? It means that when we had A in the past and please God in the future, in terms of the giving of Truma, 2% to Mr. Cohen, Ma'aser to the Levi, a second Ma'aser, first two years to Yerushalayim, Ma'aser Sheni, third and sixth year to the Aniyim. It was important for a Jew to know what year I'm in so that the Ma'asros, the tithes were done properly. In addition, we are to realize that this is the day when the majority of the rains have already come upon Eretz Yisrael. And as Rashi tells us in the Gemara Rosh Hashanah Yudalid, this is the day that the sap is rising in the trees. And even though we can't see it happening, it's a day that reminds us of our great emunah and bitochon, the renewal of our faith that the fruit will appear again. And even though it's cold and nothing appears yet on the surface, it's a sign. We learn lessons from nature and incorporate these lessons in our life as in 
the Koach of Tefillah. And so we turn to Devarim chapter 8, verse 8, where the Torah gives us the Zion Minim, the seven species for which Eretz Yisrael is praised, a land of wheat and barley and grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives and dates, and we try to eat fruits of Eretz Yisrael this coming Sunday night and Monday, reminding us of our strong connection to Eretz Yisrael and reminding us that with the challenges that Eretz Yisrael faces, our Koach of Tefillah, our reminder that in Lanu Lihishoein, Ella, Alavinu Shabashamayim, the one that we must rely upon is our Father in Heaven. This is the great lesson of Parshas Bishalach and that to Bishvat. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Israel, Rami Kleinstein, who is, uh, oh, sorry about that, who is, um, from what we hear, getting closer and closer to the uh, observant community in Israel. Rami Kleinstein, Matanot Ktonot, what a beautiful song. J.M. in the A.M. at 20 minutes before 9 o'clock on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Shabbos Shira, candle lighting at 441, Monday, our two Bishvat special here at J.M. in the A.M., as you would expect. Both the weekly update and Rabbi Yudin will be. Uh, oh, both the weekly update and Rabbi Yudin's uh, Torah portion are in our app already in the archive section of the app. They'll be up on the website momentarily. Encore presentation of Table for Two with Naomi Nachman is coming up, featuring Linda Reed, author of Which Fork Do I Use? Linda Sedeka from Moms and a Mitzvah, Mark Bodzin, Kate Turcott, head cheese maker at Shelbourne Farms, and New Jersey journalist Elizabeth Kratz. Erev Shabbos Music Mix brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Starts at 10 a.m. Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami featuring great music and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler on the Torah portion of the week. Eternal Flame with Rabbi Jacobson. Headlines with David Lichtenstein and J.M. Sunday on Sunday morning with Matis. <coughs> That's going to be happening starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream at jmnam.org and, of course, on the NSN apps. We've got amazing programming all through the weekend. Make sure you're with us both on the website and uh, on the app uh, throughout the entire weekend, before and after Shabbos, and enjoy all of our great programming. And if you're snowed in tomorrow night, great opportunity to hear the brand-new Saturday Night Seagull and some of the wonderful programming, the music, etc., etc. What's the weather going to be like? I don't know. Now they're saying maybe 12 inches of snow tomorrow. Who do you believe in these cases? We'll see what happens once it starts to come down. 23 right now with a wind chill of 18 under mostly cloudy skies on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Candle lighting at 441. This is brand new. It's called Curry Bone. It is the Adidim Choir from their CD that was just released yesterday. Here it is at JM in the AM.
Shabbat Shalom.
Brothers with Me'en Olam Haba, the Shamru done by Shalshelis Jr. that's brand new. Yedidim Choir, brand new with Curry Bone off their volume two. And Rami Kleinstein had Matanot Ketanot to open up that set for us. Candle lighting at 441 on this Arab Shabbos Parshas Bishalach as we get set for Shabbos Shira. Monday is our Tu Bishvat special. Happy Tu Bishvat to all. 
and great programming all through the weekend, including today. Table for two with Naomi Nachman coming up in five minutes. And congratulations to Naomi. Front page of the Jewish Star newspaper. Congratulations, Naomi. Great day coming up on our stream at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Time to take a shop with Journeys. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator, it's a very special sign Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 
Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jamnam.org. And, of course, on the NSN app. Naomi Nachman is next on jamnam.org and on the app with an encore presentation of Table for Two. Then Kedem presents our incredible era of Shabbos music mix all the way until candle lighting time. Don't forget Avrami with Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night, featuring the words of Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. And don't forget Sunday, it's Matis starting at 7 a.m. with JM Sunday for two hours on Sunday morning. We call that JM Sunday, 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Monday we're back to Bishvat special Monday morning. Tell the Nachum Segal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.